You're listening to the Wellington Hustle Interview Project, showcasing Wellington's entrepreneurs, sharing their experiences to inspire your entrepreneurial journey. Thank you for joining me. I'm Tim Morrison. It's October 2020, and in this episode of the Wellington Hustle Interview Project, I sit down with Lottie Roberts. Through a business, mind you, Lottie helps both companies and individuals use mindfulness to navigate change. She's also the host of the Vulnerability Effect podcast, interviewing people, sharing their stories of vulnerability with the purpose of showing how vulnerability can be a point of strength and connection. Lottie is originally from Suffolk in the UK, but after 16 years, now calls Wellington home. Her past career focused on implementing transformation and leadership in the corporate world. Then, in 2018, Lottie endured a spell of burnout, took some time off to think, and mind you, was created. Ah, Lottie has also worked her way through the challenge of recovering from a double hip replacement. Now sit back and enjoy this interview with Lottie Roberts. Lottie Roberts, thank you so much for sitting down and uh, having a chat with me, sharing your insights and, uh, and knowledge <laughs> to the Wellington Hustle community. I love the way that you're laughing. That's awesome. That's a good start. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see at the end whether they're insights or not. <laughs> so um, if you could just do a quick introduction, I guess, about yeah. yourself and what you're doing or where you come from. So my name is Lottie Roberts. I am a mother of three young boys and um, I live in Wellington, but I'm originally from place called Suffolk in England. I've been here for nearly 16 years, so I consider myself a quick Kiwi. A quick Kiwi. <laughs> yeah, a Kiwi. Uh, and my my background in my career has been um, in mainly in the corporate world, working in change and transformation and leadership up until two years ago when I left the corporate world um, to start my own business, although I didn't know that at the time. I just thought I'd actually stop and have a little bit of a break. He's just having a little rest. <laughs> yeah, I had no clue what I was going to do next. But I kind of got to a point in my career where I felt that what I was doing in my role wasn't exciting me. I probably wasn't representing myself in the best way. I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. I was working a lot of hours. I wasn't really seeing my children. It's funny, the work I do now, I talk about integrity a lot and integrity is really, you know, your actions are integrated with your values. I don't feel that that was the case. We sometimes think as lack of integrity being that you're a bad person, but actually it's like, are you really focusing in your life on what matters most? And I probably wasn't. I've been a practitioner of mindfulness. I went on a course myself. I it had a profound impact on my life and the way I live my life. Uh, I think that also helped me get to the point where I decided I was going to leave the role that I was doing. What and was the role again? You did say. But... Yeah, so I was head of strategic change and transformation. Sounds oh, yeah. like a mouthful for BNZ. Yeah. And I'd, I'd worked in various different companies, BNZ, like mainly banking and telecoms. Yeah. Um, what kind of transformations? So it could be anything. So if you think about any business, and it could be on an individual level, in the case of this, any business, they're wanting to com you know, continually evolve to stay ahead of the game. So there could be they have lot of transformations and change, because they're not necessarily the same thing, are something that you know, is having the skills to do it well. So I ran the business unit that had like all the project managers and the change managers and the BAs and the project office. And so we would have projects like, could be big compliance projects, a lot of those in banking. Uh, it could be um, rolling out, you know, like changing culture, changing behaviors. It could be organization change in terms of restructures. It could be new products, it could be new services, it could be changing 
um, processes. You know, a change normally in a business setting is driven um, from technology, from process, from products and services, or people. So they're kind of the, you know, people need to follow something, do something, use something, be something different, so yeah. And then also you were uh, transforming yourself with your nine years of mindfulness too. Yeah, I like to think the transformation of, of, of Lottie, like of all of us, starts from the moment we're born. It's just that um, sometimes you don't, you don't realize, well, you get to a point, I think quite often it happens in your 40s, when you start to really think, am I, you know, I'm halfway, th- you're kind of at the top of the hill. I like to think of life as you're going up a hill, you get to the hump and then it's, you know, you're halfway, what you're gonna do with the next half is it really matters. And that's why I think in midlife, we really start to think, are we, are we living the life we want? Are we um, doing the things we want? Is it meaningful? Is it purposeful? So what brought you to your little rest? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, many things um, brought me to that. I um, also used to be a competitive athlete. So I was a long distance runner. Um, I wasn't an Olympian, but I did pretty well on the New Zealand circuit. So I was working hard and running hard. Probably about 160 to 180K a week of running. It's a lot of running. As much as I drive. (laughs) I know. I kind of don't run for a bus now, I would say. And I ended up starting getting a lot of injuries Mm. Um, anyway. Long story short, I ended up getting really bad arthritis. That was one of the things that also drew me to mindfulness. I was having chronic pain. I ended up needing a double hip replacement. So my, my competitive running career was no more. Yeah, I think those It's been things, quite a hole to fill. It was. The thing that's really interesting though, I started getting a lot of injuries early, much earlier on than when I had my hip replacement. And I kind of think that there were lots of little signs, and this is why mindfulness is so important, is, you know, on a daily basis, when we go out, there are things happening all the time, these little signs that will tell us if we're moving towards what helps us and serves us physically and mentally and spiritually, whatever, or we're moving away. But you have to be present in your life to really see those signs. And I think, so I started having lots of little signs. When it got to the point where I needed to have a double hip replacement, I kind of made my peace with the fact that probably bashing my body hard was not a good idea. So, yeah. And I've learned that a lot of the things that seem the hardest are actually have been where I've had my biggest gains internally, Mm. you know, as a person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what was your vision when you first started your venture? So, yeah, so the business I run is called Mind You. And as I said, I left my previous job and thought, right, I'm just gonna have some time off to think about what I wanted to do. I knew it probably had something to do with mindfulness. I started doing um, my teacher training to be a mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher. I also knew that I was really passionate about change and that was part of my career I'd really loved, but also kind of got into why I loved it, which was about kind of being a facilitator. I always like to think I'm a facilitator and catalyst for positive change and transformation in others. So helping them see what they need to do to change themselves. But I kind of didn't know what that would look like and I certainly hadn't thought I would start my own business. I just kind of didn't know. And I did what was very unusual for Lottie to do was I just kind of just did nothing for a while and just slowed down, saw what would pop up. And I then decided, right, I'll start a limited company. And I thought about what I was going to call it. Actually, I was in Bali at the time. I was like, I'll call it Mind You. Start, put on LinkedIn, oh, you know, Mind You. 
um, and straight away somebody got in touch and said, oh, I just noticed that you're doing your own thing now. Would you come and talk to our senior leaders around, you know, change, do like do an offsite and facilitate all around change and navigating themselves and leading others? And I was like, okay, sure. And um, she says it's in nine days time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. And I was like, okay. And so I ended up, I did do that. And um, it kind of got me started as well. I have actually got all these things that I've learned, you know, learned a lot about um, leadership, learned a lot about change. I've learned a lot of stuff around how not to do things because I've done, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. And um, seeing how I could really be of service to people independently rather than working as part of an organization. And um, so, yeah, so that's kind of how it started. But what I, the other thing I did, which was quite counterintuitive is normally I'm like a real planner, you know, and that's what I, you know, part of my career has been around, right? What's your vision for change? Let's kind of get it on a page, you know, and really kind of being intentional about that. But the thing is, I, I thought, well, that seems quite fixed to me. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play and dabble for a while. And I was in a fortunate position that um, we could survive on my husband's um, salary. And that, so that gave me a big kind of playing field to do that and really discover what do I want to do with my business. So when I started out, I knew I wanted to help people navigate through change. I, but what has evolved is probably I help people a lot more from a internal rather than internal point of view of self-reflection you know is what i'm doing helping me and um how can i be more present in my life so bringing mindfulness i quickly started to see that mindfulness and change i always say mindfulness and change go together like cheese and crackers um you know because change done well is mindfulness in action so i saw this as being probably a, a, a little different but something that would be really helpful to help people and organizations land land change better um, and so really in everything I do, and it's got lots of different aspects to it. I do a lot of work around emotional culture. How do you want to feel at work and not feel? I do independent mindfulness work. I do some coaching. I do some, you know, like change courses and mindful leadership. But all of those, although they seem quite different, they're all trying to achieve the same thing is to help people to navigate change because change is, it's there. It's, it's the one thing you can't stop. It will happen all the time. There's a beautiful quote that I love, which is um, by John Kabat-Zinn, who actually designed the mindfulness-based stress reduction program called, um, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to surf. And um, that really resonated with me. And I like to think that I'm all about helping others learn how to surf those waves of change, which sometimes might be doing crazy, awesome flips in the waves, but sometimes surfing those change of, uh, those uh, waves of change is just literally clinging to the board <laughs> to stay on because this is like it's not about everything being fluffy it's like sometimes crap stuff happens i mean we know that this year what a year it's like how can you just stay on the board through that it doesn't need to be pretty but it's just about survival so whether it be being performing at your best or just being able to navigate adversity that's kind of my my purpose and my vision for what i do and how i like to be of service have you had any setbacks on your journey? Yeah, sure. I don't, I don't think I've had any what you call major setbacks. But when you start your own business, it is a journey of discovery in and of itself. Yep. <laughs> and um, what I've learned is you kind of feel like you're a little bit bipolar. So you have days that are awesome, you know, and you get, you get people that 
you know, not only have they made the inquiry, they've booked on it, or you've just met some amazing, inspiring people, or you've created something from scratch and you feel so proud. And there's nothing like those days. They're amazing. And then you have some days where you kind of feel a sense of lacking. Oh, I'm, I haven't, and nobody's interested in me. Maybe I'm just not good enough. You know, that old chestnut. Um, or you're looking at other people that seem to be doing really well and you're thinking, oh, I'm not doing as well as them. You know, I feel like junior jet club. But what has been really useful for me is I think because having this strong mindfulness practice, I'm really aware of when it's arising, going, ah, oh, I noticed that. That's There's self-doubt there again. Oh, there's that judgment, whether it be judgment of myself or judgment of other people. Something that I've learned is that, you know, I'm somebody who's always had quite high expectations for myself and others. And expectations are disappointment quite often waiting to happen. So I, when I was really started to become aware of that, I could start to see that sometimes when there have been setbacks, it's not going to last, you know, and, um, you know, what are the thoughts that are kind of coming up from that setback and just to kind of be with that and write it out. So I wouldn't say I've had any, I feel like I've been really, really fortunate, mm. but I think a lot of that is because I've done a lot of work on myself to not beat myself up. You know, part of why I kind of got to a point where I wanted, I was burnt out in my career and wanted to leave was because I was just too much of a try hard, always trying to be perfect, driven by the ego. And you know, that's- So that was your setback, yeah. Yeah, lit, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, but it happened before I started my business. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I just, all of these things that happen, you know, like I say, going Three through- setbacks. <laughs> yeah, going through a double replacement, you know, I've been through divorces and things like that. You know, all of those things were setbacks, but they have ended up being things that have really, been a point of growth for me, yep. which is why I'm really passionate about the subject of vulnerability and mm. being with that and seeing what you can um, learn from that. Mm. Mm. Did we talk about that in the venture? No, so I haven't. So the other thing that I do on the side, um, <laughs> I've got loads of little side hustles. See the connection, Wellington hustle, side <laughs> hustle. Um, so I also run a little podcast myself called The Vulnerability Effect. Yeah, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, and um, so that's been going about 18 months now, and uh, I am quite passionate about this subject of vulnerability, having gone through my own vulnerabilities. I interview people basically around their stories of vulnerability and what they think about it with the purpose of seeing vulnerability as a point of strength and connection. Because <clears throat> I think when we don't face into our vulnerability, it can, it, it can really compromise our mental health. Uh, and for me, where that really came out was because I, I would no way have liked to have been seen as vulnerable a few, you know, a few years ago. And then I was asked to speak at a Mindful Leaders Conference because at the time I was, you know, in the leadership role. So I was asked to share my story and talk about mindful leadership. And I suddenly thought, you know, I can't stand up on that stage and talk about my journey without basically sharing a lot of all these mistakes I've made. But I'd always kind of wanted to show, show up as like shiny, awesome Lottie. I was like, no, I'm gonna, I've, I've got to be real. You know, I think I've, you know, I was in leadership a long time, but I don't think I was always a great leader. I pushed other people as hard as I pushed myself. And, you know, I broke, so I could have possibly nearly broken them. I possibly wasn't the best listener. I wasn't sometimes the most present. So I had to kind of share all these things. And I did that on the stage and actually got off the stage, felt physically sick and thought people are going to think I'm so naff now, you know, 
but I had to do it because I needed to have that integrity of really, you know, being honest and authentic, true to myself. But actually the opposite happened. All these people were like, that was like, thank you. Thank you for being honest because what you were saying is what we feel inside, but we're too scared to say. Then I was also doing a lot of work around reading about, around Brené Brown. I was like, you know, I think there's something in this. And we did a little event, which was called the Vulnerability Project, where we got some people to share their stories of vulnerability. You know, it was a sellout, people loved it, and they wanted more, which is why I ended up doing the podcast, yeah. Was there a time that you wanted to give up? Yeah, um, so I've had some kind of real low points. So, you know, when I, I said when I came to mindfulness, it was to, I was suffering from chronic pain at the time. You know, I actually now know I've got an autoimmune condition called cerebral arthritis, which basically, you know, some, the way I've described it, sometimes it feels sometimes like my body is rotting from the inside out. Um, but I, it's, I'm actually in quite a good space now. I've done a lot of work on my general health and the, the mindfulness actually really helps it, the condition as well. Nine years ago or nine and a half years ago when I was um, in a lot, I was in a lot of chronic pain. I had injury, my whole pelvis was inflamed and arthritic. I was told I wouldn't be able to run, but they got no idea when I, you know, I was like, well, so how long am I, am I laid up for six weeks? They had no idea. And I was also had a young baby. I had two children and my, my second child was five months old and I was completely burnt out and I started suffering from postnatal um, anxiety uh, and depression. And um, I, what had served me up to them was just always being busy and you know, I could never sit still. And I went and saw a counselor uh, and the counselor said, have you thought about mindfulness? I was like, what's that? <laughs> she was like, you know, it's, she kind of described it to me and I was like, I kind of don't get it. <laughs> and I, because I'm such a good student, I went home and I like researched the word mindfulness. <laughs> and I was still like, this is really weird. I'm still not got, getting what this mindfulness thing is. You know, being present, you know, um, accepting what is without judgment and all that. But I just so happened to be sitting in a waiting room um, for an appointment and saw a flyer on the wall saying, eight week mindfulness course. So I signed up immediately, being a good student as I am. But I have to say probably, you know, what got me to that point was I remember driving along in the car, feeling totally burnt, physically exhausted, in pain, such mental anguish. And normally, because I, you know, I always see myself as a very resilient, strong person, but all of my go-tos didn't work. And I, I, I was kind of just searching for something that would make me feel better. I didn't want to take antidepressants. I've got nothing against them, but I just didn't want to do that. And I had to stop the car and pull up in a lay-by. I had two children in the back and I felt like I'd literally been sucker punched with a bowling ball in my stomach. And I was just like, the way I'm living my life's not really working. I need to do something different. And that's, that, that would probably be my lowest point. I don't know if you call that giving up, but I literally just didn't know what to do. Mm. I had no idea. I just literally, and I, I basically cried, you know, in lay-by for quite a long time with the kids in the back going, you know, well, you know, the baby didn't, but the three-year-old was like, mommy, what's the matter? But I think if I, if I think about my lowest point, that was my lowest point. Like some people go, well, wasn't having a double hip replacement your lowest point? And I was like, no, not really. I, Cause I had this resilience and the practice that had helped me. I've had little wobbles in my career where you think, oh, am I doing the right thing? This seems like so much effort. But what I've realized, it's just your mind, your thoughts and your feelings. Sometimes you're gonna have funky days and they pass. Mm. 
because I've kind of got that knowledge now, nothing ever feels as low as it probably would have done in the past. Yeah. What traps have you fallen into? Have you fallen into any traps since? I think the trap I have to be really aware of is one, um, comparison. Yeah. Mm. You know, I have a saying, comparison's the thief of joy. It's not my saying. <laughs> I stole it from someone else. And um, so, you know, I was saying when you, you compare yourself to other people and what they're doing, it's like every time you're doing that, you're one, not really celebrating what you have to offer. And it's just not helpful, you know. So I'm really aware now of that comparison habit that I could have had in the past really dampening down the ego. You know, I think what got me into a position in my career where I had climbed the ladder and I got to, people would have seen me as being successful, but I didn't feel successful was because I was driven by my ego of, oh, I don't really think I would like that job, but it's it will look really cool or it's a really good position. So I think the traps that are always there in the corner if you don't manage them to become aware of are those things around comparison and ego. And also just like being hard on myself. I always prided myself on being incredibly diligent, disciplined. You know, if you ask Lottie to do something, I'm going to do it and I'm going to ace it. I'm going to overachieve, you know, but that's actually like burnt me out and exhausted me. So something that I do a lot of work with my clients around now is this um, uh, term tender discipline, because the word discipline needs to be a disciple unto yourself. My view of discipline was more like being a boot camp instructor to myself, you know, like a real taskmaster. So if I'm going to be a disciple to myself, I need to be much gentler, much tenderer. And even when I look at like things like my to-do list, I do what's called a tender to-do list and say, you know, well, if I'm putting like 50 things on there and there's no way I'm going to achieve all these this week and then I'm just going to feel rubbish. So why don't I just take a few of those things off, focus on what matters and also what do I need to put in there that's going to really help me perform better and feel better and we do an exercise on MBSR which is called um, nourish and drain where I get people to write down everything that they do in a typical day and then put an N or a D next to it based on whether it nourishes or drains you. It's quite an, an awakener for people to go oh my gosh I've got loads of D's. Well, one thing is how can you put more N's in but also how are some of the D's the draining things, could they be ends? So for example, my children, I could see them as a drain. And indeed, when I've been working 50, 60 hours a week, um, traveling up to Auckland all the time, I did see them as a D on the weekend because I was exhausted. But now they're such an end to me. They're such a point of nourishment and play and presence. And and I feel good about the fact that I've seen that and I you know, feel much better parent because mm. of it. Mm. What inspires and motivates you? I get inspired and motivated about, definitely about being of service and helping people. So at the end of the eight week courses that I run, seeing people, the insights that they have. So I think I get inspired and motivated by people's capacity to change. Like that does really, like everybody has got the capacity to, to change in a positive way. And if I can help them, if I can be a little bit of a North Star, and again, it's like, I don't, I'm not an evangelist about this. I don't like to think I'm the secret ingredient, but if I can help people see that they have everything they need, then I find that really inspiring. I've got people that I'm inspired by as well. Um, actually, I've just been doing some work recently around what your 
uh, creative ancestors are is on a course that I've been doing and looking at, you know, who are people out there that really inspire you, dead or alive. And um, so I'm really inspired by people like Vidyamala Birch, who has gone through real adversity and is in chronic pain and has brought so much her gift to the world and really helped people. I'm really inspired by people that just really bring what they've got to say in a really non-judging, beautiful way and help others get insight. So people like Sharon Salzberg, um, uh, Sebene Selassie, so you can look some of these up, you may or may not have heard of them. Um, yeah, I, I do get inspired by people that do that work and um, yeah, but just I'm just inspired by people generally. That's why I love doing the podcast. You'll be the same. You meet all these people. Everybody's a little bit different, but actually we've got way more in common than we have got different. We, we're in a society now that keeps focusing on the differences, but actually even this pandemic, we're so interconnected. Yeah, just spending time with other people's energy, I find that quite inspiring. Yeah. 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 Breakthroughs. Can you describe a breakthrough that you're particularly proud of? I think right now I feel like I've just been on the, of like having a bit of a breakthrough, to be honest. So these two, you know, it's been two years since I've been doing my own business. As I've said, there's highs and lows, you know, you, you have the days where you get lots of work in and you feel like you're so creative and then the days when you're like, oh, this is just so tiring. But one of the things that I've done this year is really been putting a lot of time aside to um, space to really kind of um, do the self-inquiry. And out of that, um, the, the kind of breakthrough has been that I actually need to have space in my life ongoing. So uh, I've always filled my life with lots of stuff. So the breakthrough for me has been um, really dropping some extra things even in my business through having that space, dropping stuff, knowing stuff I want to drop and to make space ongoing because one of the things I want to do is write a book and I know I need space to do that. So, uh, but also just a breakthrough just from the point of view of um, really, I guess, really being much more self-aware than I've ever been before in terms of when I'm feeling a bit where it comes from and then not shooting from the hip. So I do feel like there's a breakthrough going on at the moment for sure for me. But if I was to say like a life-changing breakthrough probably was having my double hip replacement because it was something that was so such a physical violation of my body. Mm. So, I mean, they literally saw mm -hmm. <laughs> off the top of your hip bones yeah. and, you know, put, so it's, a, and I had both mine done together. So it was four to five hour operation. Yeah. Um, and you learn to walk again. Mm. So it was a real breakthrough moment for me because I had to go back to kind of being really physically vulnerable, like needing people to help me. Um, I had three children, so I had to have people help me to be a mum. I had to learn to walk again. I couldn't drive anywhere. We had a nanny at the time. She was driving me places. So that was quite hard for me. I like to be the person that helps others. Um, I had to um, really kind of uh, be patient in terms of building myself up again. So like um, I've always gone at things, tried to accelerate, you know, learning something or healing from something, but this I had to be quite patient. It took me, within six weeks, I was actually walking 10K again. Um, but I did that through actually going really slow. So that's the other thing that, you know, that taught me is like going slow, profound stuff happens. 
And three months after I climbed the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Um, so, but I would say, you know, probably proper recovery was six months in terms of being able to just do all the things I could do. And I've, I've got a very full life now. Like, thank God for modern medicine because um, bad arthritis is no fun. It's like having broken glass in your joints. What do you see as being your biggest lesson? Well, I think it's just been a recurring le lesson that I've um, had to go over and over again, because obviously I'm not the A-plus student I was hoping for, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is um, to, to just, you know, it's that, it's that tend of discipline, you know, to really look after yourself and um, to take time and space. How, t how important time and space are, are, I tell you, the work that I do. Um, so when I do emotional culture workshops, I ask people, what are the top ways you want to feel in the workplace and the top things you don't want to feel in the workplace? And in every single workshop I've done, overwhelmed has come up in that I don't want, it's how I don't want to feel, but I realize it's a reality, you know, it's, it's going to happen from time to time. And um, overwhelm is a problem just generally in the world, but definitely in the workplace to-do lists, you know, for miles. We've also got um, all these expectations, everything's so fast paced. And, you know, we've got some real complex problems to solve in the world now. And the only way we're probably gonna solve them is to create some space to just sit and think. I mean, there's very rare that I'll have literally nobody that I work with will have spare days in their diary where there's no meetings and no, you know, just to kind of sit and think you know, so I believe that's been my biggest lesson for me, but I, it's a lesson I'm trying to get people to realize that give yourself space. That's and me. probably here of being versus doing. So, you know, a lot of people are doers. There's nothing wrong with doing, um, but you also need to have like being, being is just being, we are human beings. Quite often our being comes from our doing. And that was me 10 years ago. You know, I was uh, a doer. That's who Lottie was. That was my identity. But really, your doing should come from your being. So think about what your purpose is, what's important, what do you want to, what impact do you want to leave? Um, you know, a life is short. Um, I know this sounds so cheesy, all this stuff I'm saying, but it's, it's it, the reason it's cheesy is it's said over and over again and it's actually true. Yeah, it turns out to be true. <laughs> yeah. So people get to the end of life and go, ah, that is yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, let your, let your doing come from your being rather than your being come from your doing. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I said that in my yoga class this week. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so how has your vision changed? And has it always been clear? How has it evolved? Oh, my vision is constantly changing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my vision has changed a hell of a lot from like, you know, when I started my career. But I think really you're, you, it's hard. I mean, if anybody literally knows from the age of 20 what they want to do and they're really clear on their vision and it's still the same vision when they're 40, great, go them, you know. But for me, I think there was an energy, maybe there was, it was, it was covered with lots of layers. And then as I've gone through my career and then, you know, building up the skills and being open to learn and stuff like that, I've managed to peel away the layers to probably something that was really at the heart of everything that drove me. I just didn't see it was, and I was distracted from it. Um, so I think my vision really I, is very much to be of service. I was listening to a podcast myself this morning and 
that this question was similar question was posed and I thought about it I was like probably back then I I still just wanted to really help people and be of service but I probably had a, a skewed view of how to do that but now I'm really clear that I just really want to be of service that but it's not about doing stuff for them it's about helping people to do stuff for themselves so that they suffer less that they can really optimize who they are and real really feel good in who they are yeah. not try to be somebody else you know perform from their place having reflected and gone back like imagining me as a 15 year old or a 20 year old or 25 year old I think I'd always had this real desire and felt and belief that I had an energy that could help people, that could sh get them to shift from maybe being paralyzed, stagnant, n confused, and to then see that there was something that they could do to shift them out of that. I thought, but I just didn't know how I could do that. Mm. But I've, I think I've always probably, now I reflect back, had a belief that I could do that. Now I'm getting much closer to figuring out, you know, what I need to do or how that comes out of me. And it's not for me, just for me, it's not being a leader in a corporate role. You know, I it, you know, again, 10 years ago, I'd always said that, you know, I'm a leader. Well, maybe I am still a leader in some kind of way, but it's not I'm not like I don't lead a large team anymore. Um but in some ways, and, and also it's like I want people to actually be leaders of themselves. Yeah, you're helping leaders. So I'm still in the business mm. of leadership, but it's like we're all the CEO of ourselves and I'm helping people realize that and get the lights turned on and everything fired up and working for the benefit of themselves. Um, but also kind of being realistic around that life's not always going to be fluffy. There's going to be some hard times, but, you know, you can, again, surf through it. So, yeah. What would you do? differently if you had to start again oh i kind of get an ejection of all this self-awareness back in my, <laughs> in my 20s just that constant trying to be something else rather than being happy with what you've got or what you what you are so i think i would i would have just not given myself a, a tough time um always feeling like i'm not cutting it or i'm not quite good enough or i'm not quite getting to the the bit where I want to get to. So I just think I would have been a lot gentler on myself. And um, uh, a book that I'm reading at the moment, it's just a small book, I think it's called The Book of the Human Shadow. And the second section is called the, the, um, the Large Bag We Drag or something like that. And it basically comes from the premise of when we're born, you know, we're kind of born, we're completely whole in ourselves. And then as our parents might say, oh, you know, don't kick your sister, which obviously you don't want to kick, or, and don't do this, and, and don't talk when other people are talking. And, and you start to kind of hide bits of yourself because you think you shouldn't have them in this bag. By the time you get to your 20s, you've got this huge bag that you're dragging, and you meet someone else who's got their own bag that they're dragging. And you're both dragging this bag, and you're a sliver of what you were because there's all these parts of yourself, your shadow self, that you put away. And so I think I would have emptied that bag much sooner. I feel I'm emptying it now, gradually. Um, and the fact is, we all have a shadow side. We all have a light, you know, the brighter, this, the brighter the light, the darker the shadow. And so I think it's really about um, just just accepting my whole self. And don't again, I don't do it every day. I'll still beat myself up sometimes, but I'll notice when I'm doing it. That's the end of my questions. 
So um, most important thing for anybody who would want to find out more about what you're doing and the vulnerability podcast, is that what's it yeah. called? Yeah. The vulnerability Where, effect. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Where would they go to find more about Lottie? I do have a website, www.mindyou.co.nz. So you can find out a bit about me there. I'm actually getting it rebuilt, but it's got all the basics on there. Um, you can also email me at lottie at mindyou.co.nz. Then the Vulnerability Effect podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, all those kind of platforms. Everywhere. I am on Instagram, <laughs> random handle, at Bionic Yogini. You can probably <laughs> see that. <laughs> and I've got a, a Mind You Facebook page, but I don't think anyone ever looks at it unless you pay heaps of money on marketing nowadays. <laughs> so, you know, if people want to reach out and have a chat, a virtual cup or whatever, just please do. Like I said, I love catching up with people. Um, and they might have a story of vulnerability they want to share as exactly. well. Exactly. Awesome. Cool. All right. Thank you very much for sharing. Cool. Thank you. And, uh, I think that's a wrap, yeah. Great. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> hey, Lottie, thanks again for sharing your story with the Wellington Hustle community. My takeaway from your interview was the importance of letting my being guide my doing, not my doing guide my being. Makes me think of how I should be leading by example to guide my girls. For you, the listener, what have you taken away from Lottie's interview? Please share in your comments over at the Wellington Hustle website. I'll be adding links here for all the resources mentioned in the interview. You'll also find Lottie's contact details if you want to reach out and start a conversation. Just head over to the website, wellingtonhustle.co, and you'll find Lottie there. If you're enjoying these interviews, then please spread the word, share with your friends, and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This will really help the Wellington Hustle interview project be found by others. If you're interested in being interviewed for the project or you have somebody in mind that would be a great fit, then please, please, please send me an email on tim at timson.co or head to the Timson Co. website, click on the Wellington Hustle link from the menu and choose Join Wellington Hustle from the drop down. Thanks so much again for listening and until next time, keep on hustling. Yeah.